Welcome to Energy Radio. This is episode 65, and on this episode, you hear about a new buzz in the industry. And with that awkward dad joke behind <laughs> us, we will get started. Uh, but before we welcome our guest, I will invite uh, my co-host and somebody who I think is uh, vying for uh, the main host of this show, uh, which is exciting, <laughs> uh, Lisa Katz. Lisa, welcome to Energy Radio. Yes, thank you very much, Matt. How are you today? Good, good. It's been a while since we've done uh, a podcast. Is this our first one of the new year? Uh, it is, yeah. We um, that we had one that we had scheduled that unfortunately you couldn't be a part of just before the holidays started right? Um, with our project directors. Um, but yeah, this is the first one of the new year, so. Right on. It's good. It's good to be behind the mic uh, and, and chatting. And we have a, a special guest with us today. And uh, so, Lisa, I will let you in- introduce our, our guest and we'll get the discussion going. Sounds very good. Good morning, Caitlin. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So for our listeners, Caitlin, and, and maybe I, I need you to pronounce your last name properly. Is it Albertoli? Albertoli, yes. Tolly. Okay. That was going to be the next way I was going to pronounce it. But she is the CEO and co-founder of Buzz Solutions. And I have to say, Caitlin, I reviewed your LinkedIn profile in preparation for our podcast yesterday. And I couldn't believe, like, sort of where you started. You know, you've, you've always carried this entrepreneurial spirit, it seems. And and I think you were, like, you started off in the jewelry business or something mm-hmm. shortly after you got out of school. And now you're at Buzz Solutions. So I... I personally am very interested to hear, like, how did you start in jewelry and how did you end up in energy now? Like, there's there's got to be a good story behind that. So maybe you can give us a, you know, a bit of a background on how you got to uh, where you are today. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, my journey into the energy space was really just out of interest and passion. And I was really excited by all of the digital transformations that were happening in the energy space. Uh, my start in in jewelry was also very entrepreneurial. I used to make necklaces uh, just in my free time. It was something that I enjoyed doing to be creative. And when I had the chance, I've always just uh, loved creating things. And so I had several people who were complimenting me on all of these necklaces that I were making. I originally made my first one as a way to repair uh, another piece of jewelry that I had. It had broken and I repaired it. I said, oh, this is kind of fun. And so I started making them and giving them away as gifts. And then soon thereafter, people were asking where they could buy them. So I sold them in uh, boutique stores and hotel chains. And that was uh, prior to uh, going to college. And then uh, when I was in college, I took this entrepreneurial course that was focused around building a startup in the sustainability space. And that's actually where we launched Buzz Solutions in 2017. Wow. I'm... I'm, uh... I'm fascinated by, I know we're going to get to Buzz Solutions in a minute, but that, that notion of being an entrepreneur and I'm a, I'm a big uh, Gary Vaynerchuk uh, fan. I don't know if that name means, means anything to you, but you know, he talks a lot about, you know, being an entrepreneur and having entrepreneurial tendencies. And, and, and I, I think I skew towards the latter. I didn't discover that till I got older, but you clearly are, you know, the fact that you're selling jewelry and, 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 and then, you know, launching a business did you know you always kind of had those tendencies or was that a process of self-discovery? Like I'm fascinated of that that kind of self-awareness piece around knowing that that's, you know, in your DNA and that's kind of what you're the best at. Yes, I always wanted to do something entrepreneurial. I like I said, I love to be a part of the the creation piece, but then I also love 
creating change through action. And I feel that starting a startup where you can create change and enact change so quickly and then see really quick growth is is really exciting. And so that's where I always felt most passionate, comfortable, excited uh, to get up and, and go to work every day. And so I think that's really the journey that that I wanted to start from an early age. Very, very cool. Well, let's, so you, you launched this, this company. Tell us about it. Let's hear about it. Absolutely. So my co-founder and I, we launched Buzz Solutions from a launchpad style course at Stanford where you uh, spend the first three weeks building your entire go-to-market strategy, your second three weeks uh, building your five-year financial modeling, and your last three weeks of the course, you put together your entire pitch deck. And every three weeks, you pitch to a different panel of industry experts and venture capitalists. And it was really exciting for us because we were originally exploring the wind market, and we were looking at what was happening with drone inspections in the wind market at that time. But after doing some market research and after speaking with people in the industry, it was pretty clear that there was a, a really big burning need for our solution in the power space. And so we had advisors who said, have you, have you seen what's happening with, with drone inspections and power? And so we leveraged the Stanford Alumni Network to interview about 35 different power utilities in a few week period of time. And they all had the exact same story that they were starting to do a lot more with drone inspections and with high zoom, high resolution cameras for their infrastructure inspections of all of their power lines. But yet the entire process of analyzing their data was still manual. They had mm -hmm. linemen, engineers, field technicians spending eight hours a day for months on end just analyzing all this data. And we said, you know, there has to be a better way to solve this problem. And that's where we came up with Buzz Solutions. So, so Caitlin, talk to us a little bit about like how how does that work? So, like if we take a, take us back to, you know, you get a client, so utility client, you may or may not be using some of their existing drone footage. I don't know that they've maybe captured over the years. You've got your own drones or something that's, I guess, you know, looking at a lot of that infrastructure. But how does the AI piece fit into it from an automatic perspective? Like, like what what do the how, how does a client get that information and, and what's the, what's the real benefit there? Absolutely. So we don't touch any of the data collection piece. We leave that to the utilities and the service providers who do all of the data collection. And so uh -huh. we just take in all of the imagery uh, that's been collected from these utilities. And now we're working on new sensor data as well, a visual sensor data. But we take in all of the imagery and utilities can upload it to our software platform. And then mm. uh, they're able to process it using our algorithms and our algorithms then will have will draw automatically will draw uh, boxes on all of the different faults that it detects in an image. So mm. it'll tell you if there is a broken insulator or if there's rusting on a component or if there's um, rot on a on a wood tower um, or a wood pole. And so we're able to provide all of these different faults and failure mode detections as, as they're called based off the visual imagery that they've collected. So and you to, to so my son got a uh, a drone for 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 Christmas, and we've we uh, he's been too busy playing with other toys. We haven't unboxed it, but eventually we'll get out there and fly. So you don't do any of that. You're not doing any of that. Your value add starts after that data has been collected. Did, did I hear that right, Kayla? 
Yes, that's correct. We work with partners and we work with utilities themselves who are either doing in-house inspections or they contract out that, that data mm -hmm. collection piece. We really just want to be the, the central brain or the one-stop shop for analyzing that data mm -hmm. to provide you with the most actionable insights from that inspection data. And Caitlin, is there information that you need to collect from a utility like to kind of get started on this? Like, do you are you interested to to understand what the age of the current infrastructure is or when certain maintenance kind of things have been carried out just so you have kind of a starting point? Or do you just assess the system as a whole? And then as you find faults like that information is provided to the client. So tower names and uh, the uh, coordinates, location coordinates for all of the structures is really important for us so that we can then map all of the we can then map all of the imagery that's collected to each of its structures and then we can provide the results there so that's really what's the most important what we're doing now is looking at as we continue to do these these inspections and as we continue to work with utilities then we're uh, building all of this data to be able to track assets over time and that's mm -hmm. something that's so important is now that so many utilities are able to do more frequent drone inspections and are able to get visual data of their lines they're creating this huge data portfolio of all of the of all of their structures over a over a time sequence and that's where the value of ai comes in as well and the ability to map all of the structures um, is so important mm. still kind of there's a bunch of different directions we can go this is this is fascinating but still kind of unpacking it so that you know us and our listeners understand it you talk about data you mentioned you know tower names uh, locations in addition to that all the data is primarily visual in nature or is there other layers or other types of data like what when you say data what does that mean in in practical terms right so we work with pretty much all of the data from outside the line right now. So we're working with visual imagery, so just, just images. And then we're also looking at several other types of data as well, such as LIDAR data to track vegetation management or thermal data mm -hmm. to track heat signatures. But we're really working with uh, all of the information outside the line right now. That being said, there is tremendous data that utilities are collecting as well from inside the line to detect um, signature abnormalities from within a line as well. And so utilities just have a variety of different data sets that they're that they're working with to really understand the true health of their lines and of their infrastructure itself. But right now, our main focus is just on the actual the actual towers, um, because about 80% of issues that are happening uh, with a with a with a power line, for example, are a result of an external factor. So if an mm. issue is picked up within a line, a tremendous number of those are a result of some sort of external factor um, that's causing that underlying issue. You, you, you used uh, terms outside the line and inside the line. Um, most of the world, we think of you know being on one side or the other, not inside or outside. But do you mean, when you mean inside, you mean like the current flowing through the line and, and outside is kind of everything else? Is that, did I understand yes. that correctly? Yes, so outside the line, we're thinking of everything from the physical infrastructure itself or what you can see when you're flying a helicopter by okay. the line um, or a drone or if you're a human even walking by the line you can see a lot of these abnormalities on on hmm. uh, city lines for example if you're walking by you can see some of those issues so that's everything outside the line and then yes to your point um any type of signature abnormalities or or current flowing through the line uh, 
you can detect that with inline monitoring. Mm. So if I was a client, then Caitlin, like you've determined, you've determined there's some sort of an abnormality or a fault, or there's some sort of an issue. How do I actually get the message? Like, is it just automatic through your platform or is there literally, you know, somebody that you have employed, we'll call it 24 seven, that's sort of, you know, watching and keeping an eye out for these different things. And then you guys are, are putting reports together and sending them through. How does that part happen? Yes. So utilities have uh, work order management systems systems that generate, uh, where they can generate tickets to um, go out and conduct maintenance in the fields. And even when they are doing this process manually, they're still generating work order tickets to go out in the field and resolve whatever maintenance issue is happening. If it's a broken insulator, that'll be logged in the work order management system and that'll generate a ticket so that then the uh, lineman or field technician can go out and solve that issue in the field. And there's a variety of uh, uh, factors that go into when, how, and where that component is, is replaced. Uh, but with our solution, we're able to plug in directly into those work order management systems. We're able to integrate into those mm. so that you can then have work order management system uh, or work order tickets automatically generated from our our algorithms from the imagery that oh. we're, we're um, analyzing. Right now, there's still a, a human uh, component in there. So we have humans that are using our platform that are confirming all of the detections that we provide and then saying, yes, this tower has been fully reviewed and it's ready to go um, into the work order management system. We're ready to generate tickets from that now. So that's really where uh, we see that the biggest, one of the biggest values is, is that we're helping streamline this process too. We're helping, um, we're helping the process from data management to analyzing the data to ultimately taking action with this data. Mm. And then there's a feedback loop that comes back to you guys. So, for example, if it's an insulator or something that needed to be replaced, there's a work order that's generated, that work gets done, and then you guys know that that work has been done so that it doesn't appear on a report again, or how does how does that work? Right now we have everything logged on a per inspection basis. That's absolutely if a utility wants to kick back the results to us and confirm that that action has now been taken and it's it's been resolved. That's something that we can include in our systems. Right now we are doing it on, on a per inspection basis. So with each new inspection um, that comes through, we flag results or flag issues that are happening on that data. Hmm. Cool. I have to I have to kind of go one more layer here because and I know a lot of people don't want to know how the sausage is made, but uh, I, grew up, <laughs> I grew up working in a, in a deli and I'm a mechanical engineer, so I want to know how the sausage is made. Can, can you give a little bit of a context around, okay, you're pulling in the data, you know the tower names and locations, you know, what, what is the AI, how, how is it, what's it looking at, like what's its high level kind of um, process that it's, you know, how is it working? And then the, I guess the second question is, that's what you've developed at Buzz is is kind of the actual underlying AI, kind of a two-part question there. Yes, we have, uh, we have built and trained all of our algorithms at Buzz. That is our, one of our biggest advantages is we don't use off-the-shelf models. They're models that we've built in-house and trained in-house and we've used a, a huge volume of proprietary data sets that we have collected over the years from various utilities to train our algorithms with the highest level of accuracy. We have a standard number of faults and failure modes that we're looking for across a variety of, of different asset classes. And we've trained our algorithms on each of those different asset classes. And so that's how we're able to provide the 
the granular fault detection. So that's how we're able to detect so many different faults and failure modes. And you know, it's a there's a variety of different types of infrastructure, different um, geographies, varied backgrounds, and everything. So different angles mm -hmm. at which the imagery has been collected. And so all of that was a big part of us training our algorithms mm -hmm. and how we ultimately were able to train them um, with such high accuracy. It was uh, a very a very long process, I guess you would say, to collect all of these varied data sets, um, given that they are so proprietary, but uh, it's definitely worked out well for us. Cool. And and are there different, you mentioned a, a, a set of you know faults and failure modes. Are there ones that are easier to detect and ones that are harder to detect for the algorithm? Absolutely. And a big piece of that is the number of faults that you have, uh, the number of images that you have of that type of fault. Some faults are more common than others. Some are more uh, severe than others. Some we have more data than others. And that's a big piece of, uh, you know, the accuracy that goes into it. We have so much data for, uh, you know, a, a certain few faults and then so little data of others and so uh, that's always a you know a, a big piece of any algorithm that you're trying to train is can mm -hmm. you get enough data sets and enough varied data sets that will encompass all of the issues and is that is that what's a bigger factor in the accuracy i know we're getting really really nerdy here but this is fascinating <laughs> um is that what's a bigger factor in the accuracy is that is the number of data sets and the number of learning opportunities as opposed to kind of the nature of the fault and failure mechanism itself Yes, that's that's a big piece of it, and um, the variation in the data sets is a big piece of it. The um, the lighting, angles, quality, all of those, mm -hmm. background, all of those are are really big components of it as well. But yes, that's definitely a major factor. And when I think about utilities, Caitlin, like I'm I I live in Oakville, Ontario, and so in my subdivision here, everything is buried, like whether it's natural gas or you know electrical lines. I mean, there are obviously some above ground lines outside of my area that are going to major, you know, substations, et cetera. But is your like is is your AI targeted really at everything above ground or can you do underground? Like, does that exist within your portfolio or how does that work? Right now, we're just doing above ground. It's something okay. we, we are exploring and are looking at the possibility of, of underground, but really that uh, all comes down to the data sets that are being collected for underground inspections. And that's a really new and developing field too, is, is underground inspections of, of mm. uh, lines and, and what can be done with that with drones. And so that's something that we're, we're constantly keeping an eye on, but it's not in our current portfolio. Okay, cool. And, and for you, it's, you're not really so fussed about the fact that it's drones collecting the data. Like you're a, as long as, as long as there's data you can work with, like I'm thinking, you know, there are ways to scope a, a pipe underground and look at it from the inside. Mm -hmm. That could have a data set that you could pull out. You know, you could, you know, maybe apply your AI to that data set, even if it wasn't connected. Or, or is a drone critical to how the data is collected such that it's part of your AI? No, we, we are uh, pretty much data source agnostic for the way in which the data is collected. And in other industries, aside from power, we are absolutely seeing that underground inspections with a variety of, of uh, you know, different types of sensors and, and drones or different types of robots has become quite prevalent. And it's really exciting to see that growth in, in some of those other industries. And it's a great way for the power sector to take learnings from those other from some of those other industries and see how we can uh, take advantage of that in the power space. Mm. And, and in the power space, we, we've been talking about, you know, overhead 
you know, utility lines. But I mean, off the hop, you talked about wind, you know, solar is a big one, mm-hmm. um, you know, gas power plants. I mean, are you, can you, are you going broader than, or do you see visions of, of going broader than just overhead lines? Absolutely. We see that our technology is applicable far beyond just the power sector. The reason we started in power was because there was so much growth and a drastically accelerated transition there towards more frequent inspections. Mm-hmm. Part of that was due to the climatic issues, the, the climate issues that have happened, uh, such as wildfires and power outages that um, have happened in the space, but a lot of it's due to mandates as well. And the grid is continuing to age. And so as the grid continues to age, there's an even greater need for more frequent inspections. Mm -hmm. So that's become a huge part of why the power spaces and utilities have started to adopt these inspections um, with these technologies such as drones or high zoom, high resolution cameras. Um, They've started adopting these at, at accelerated rates. And that's why we found our first product market fit here, but we don't see it stopping here. We we really want to be uh, working in across all areas of antiquated indus- uh, antiquated infrastructure or renewables or things mm. like that. I, I want to focus a little bit on, on the climate piece that you mentioned there, Caitlin. Like if we if we take for example, you know, Texas as, you know, as an example, which, you know, happened, what was it last year? COVID always screws me up as far as time these days. It's crazy. But, but, you know, you have this huge major event. Uh, There's obviously a lot of renewables on the line. Like they were not prepared for that. Would your technology, would your solution have been able to foresee some of that? And as a result, would have been able to inform the utility that, look, there's some major issues happening here, yes, that are weather related, but that are likely to affect the lines and and kind of help, you know, solve some of that? Or or is it really something very separate just because of the nature of the fact that that was so, like, random, you know, in terms of that that uh, climate occurrence? So the real value that we're able to bring is, is with on-demand inspections. So when these storms are happening and when there's issues and outages that are that are um, happening and occurring at, at rapid rates, we're able to be right there as a part of that inspection process. Once um, they send out a drone inspection, uh, kind of a drone company, or once they send out their own drones, or if it's a helicopter, whatever it may be, depending on the conditions, uh, we're able to analyze that data and turn it around very quickly so that they can know exactly where the issues are and the highest, uh, the highest severity issues are so that they can Uh, resolve those issues much faster. That's really where we're able to bring the most immediate value. Um, Prior to a prior to a a natural disaster that happens, you know, we're just able to help a utility be well equipped to know where the strongest parts of their infrastructure are and where they the weaker areas are where they may need to pay more special attention or more focus in case there is a, um, you know, a natural disaster that may happen or storm. But in the in the you know, building on that climate discussion, um, you know, you might identify a failure that's you know would happen in a in a one in a hundred you know year weather event, and and that that's happening every ten years. Like, is that you know is it the the same fault now is more likely to occur? The same failure is more likely to occur um, because of so. So is that kind of where the intersection of your technology is, is from a climate and a, and a resiliency reliability perspective is you guys are identifying it and then it's the action that they're taking because it's more likely that it that that yes. event will take place yeah yes absolutely and you know the key area that we see this is 
is valuable is with wildfires and mm -hmm. as uh, as utilities are looking to become more more resilient uh, you know wildfires is a is a major issue that we have really across the west coast now is it's not even just in California where I am anymore. It's it's really across the West Coast, but grid sparked wildfires have um, in recent years, of course, been making major headlines, but causing billions of dollars in damages. And uh, we're able to detect those faults before they are, um, you know, before it causes a downed line that, or before it causes major sparking issues, which can cause mm -hmm. a wildfire. And so that's really where we're able to help in those types of situations is before wildfire season. You know, the, the best time to address the major issues is before wildfire season even starts so that you can have the most strong and robust grid uh, going into the wildfire season. But, you know, we're able to help with the routine inspections and on-demand inspections throughout. So we're able to help identify the most critical issues. and. That's where, uh, you know, utilities historically have been spending so much time has been on analyzing this data and trying to make sense of the information that they have and translating it into actionable insights. And so we're just really helping them cut down on that time and on that cost savings um, as it pertains to getting that information and translating it into action. From a geography uh, perspective, Caitlin, do you focus on just the United States? Do you come into Canada? Does is there are there some differences in the way inspections are carried out between Canada and the U.S. or are they pretty similar? We're working across North America right now, um, across U.S. and Canada, because we do see there are many similarities between the two and. Uh, you know, we've had a great experience working with both drone providers and utilities in Canada who are, uh, you know, very much on the innovative side of adopting more frequent inspections and, uh, you know, even uh, autonomous inspections in some instances, testing mm. autonomous inspections. And so we see that, uh, you know, our ability to work across both has been quite successful. And presumably that's in the transportation and the distribution space, correct? We work with transmission and distribution lines, okay. yes. Yeah, okay. And what what's the I mean Walker I don't think we covered this at the beginning I mean when when did you launch what's the up uptake been like from the market what's the reception been um, talk us through some of that absolutely so we launched in the spring of 2017 and we spent the first two years building out our algorithms collecting all of these proprietary data sets to train our algorithms and we launched into the market with our solution in august of 2019 that's where we started um, actually testing our solution in the market and deploying with utilities and it it's been really incredible to see that the transition and the transformation that's happened in this market since 2017 you know, back in 2017, we were speaking with utilities who had these big goals of uh, doing drone inspections across all of their infrastructure or of uh, doing a lot more inspections with helicopters to collect really, um, really granular data or much more data along their lines. And uh, utilities went from capturing tens of thousands of images to now capturing hundreds of thousands and millions of images. I mean, some utilities we're speaking with are capturing with 5 million plus images a year uh, just of their transmission and distribution infrastructure. And, and they have plans to even double that in the next few years, which is incredible. And, you know, back at that, back at that time, it was, there was visions of it and there was a lot of testing that was happening, but to really have seen over the past few years how the market has unfolded has been really exciting because we see that there's so much more potential as well. Um, 
and, and so much more growth uh, across the space. And so to be a part of it from the early stages to now where utilities mm -hmm. have to adopt AI because they have to find a way to really sift through and make sense of all of this data, you know, we're, we're really on the, the cutting edge of that and, and we're excited to be a part of it. I imagine because, especially in the U.S., you know, where there's there's a ton of aging infrastructure, and then because of electrification, the build out of new lines, like you're really probably sitting at a in a great spot, you know, from where you started to to present time, and and you know, in terms of your uh, the number of clients or utilities that are likely to approach you guys, because I can only see your business growing, you know, from here. It's uh, uh, that's huge. Yeah, we're we're really we're really excited about the potential about the future and about what's happening right now with utilities that we are working with and what we're seeing is so many utilities are are starting to adopt this digital transformation and are looking at ways to become fully digital even by 2030 ag aggressive goals by 2030 but several utilities have publicly announced that they have goals to be a fully digital utility by 2030 and mm. ai and machine learning are are key aspects of that transition and so um, it unlocks really several doors of applications for us beyond even what we're doing right now um, in order to help utilities as they are on this this wave of, of becoming fully digital and would you, and would you say you're like from a market not a market share but a market penetration perspective are you you know are you currently working with the 10 percent that are the most progressive you know is everybody using the technology are you somewhere in between you know, what's your sense on market penetration of, of your service? Mm -hmm. I would say we're somewhere in between. We're working with several of the most innovative utilities right now. And we were fortunate this past summer to have been a part of um, the Electric Power Research Institute, which is also known as EPRI. Um, mm. they, have oh, yeah. a, they have an, um, a program over the summer that's called the Incubate Energy Labs program and about 16 or 17 now they're, they're constantly growing but the number of utilities that they have that are on the innovative side that are looking to adopt new technologies is, is continuing to grow and so we were a part of that program last summer and we actually worked with uh, Newfoundland Power um, in Canada as a part of that as a part of that project and um, it's really it was a really great opportunity for us to to have exposure with many of these innovative utilities and really t uh, run a, a major project, run a major test case of our solution and then showcase the results. Cool. And, and how does um, how does the pricing model work? Like, do you do you do you charge based on, you know, mile of wire or do you, you know, image or just dumb, dumb question? How, how do you price it? Yeah, we have a, uh, a volume based pricing. So okay. It, the the metric for us is on a on a per image pricing, but we can roll mm -hmm. that up into a per structure or a per mile pricing. It really depends on how the utility collects their data, um, or how the drone inspection company collects their data too. Okay. Hmm. Wow. And fr from from an AI perspective, Caitlin, just to go back to that for a second. Um, like, is there a constant feedback loop in some ways there too, where you know, from an artificial intelligence perspective, you're you're you've already got what you have built, but then based on what you see or feedback or just other things, like, is there is there a natural feedback that just comes back that just makes that artificial intelligence even smarter, or mm -hmm. like, how does that part work? 
Absolutely, that's a great question. Um, so we, our, our algorithms are continuously becoming more accurate and more personalized to all of our utilities, uh, utility customers that we're working with. And a big part of that is we take in um, any updates, edits, adjustments, deleting of all of the labels, uh, and all of that data that's that's collected uh, is then. Uh, taken back to our algorithms and retrained through our algorithms to have them become mm. more smart and accurate and more personalized. Mm. We have a feature on our platform that is called, uh, we call it the human in the loop or inspector in the loop uh, feature. And what that does is once our algorithms have analyzed all of the imagery, a human can go back in and make any adjustments um, or tweaking to the the faults that we detect, the any of the labels that we detect on the image, they can make any edits to it. And then once they click that the image has been uh, final, final reviewed, then all of that data goes back into our algorithms to retrain them to become more accurate. And so we okay. see that that's a, a very exciting feature for a lot of our utility customers. One, because it still allows the, the linemen to provide their feedback, their notes, their edits, whatever it may be, and they can train new, um, you know, new faults on that data and our algorithms can become more smart and more personalized. So it's really a win-win for both both sides. I'm going out on a little bit of a limb here, but I noticed that Matt did a little bit of a 180, and he was looking at his bookshelf. for For our listeners, this is not you know filmed, and we don't uh, we don't air any video. But uh, Matt did a 180, looked at his big bookshelf that's behind him. For those of you that have seen him on calls, and I was like, oh, he's looking for a book because I know he's into the software and AI space. Like he's really interested in it. So maybe I'm putting you out there, Matt. But no, I, no, I you're, no you're, was, we've been doing this long enough. Yeah, it's a good read. I think it's at my office bookshelf, but. Uh, I read a book well, four or five years ago. Some U of T professors. It's called Prediction Machines, and it's and it's about AI. It's a very you know, it's a good entry level. Yet you know, gets to some real technical around AI, how it works, the economics around it. Um, mm. It's uh, a great. I was trying to find it, uh, but it's called Prediction Machines. Um, so so look it up for those who are interested. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a. You know, and and Caitlin's doing a a great job for those of us who are not in the space of really, you know, kind of bringing it down to our level so that we can grasp onto it and yet communicating the the benefits of it because uh, it's, you know, I think I think often people think AI and they think you know the movies and 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 computers and and robots taking over right, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's different divergent theories uh, about that, but. Um, I think the you know we we have a lot of smart humans and 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 there's a lot of phenomenal things that can come from AI and 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 you guys are doing some some really really cool stuff so um, yeah this is this is really cool Lisa did you have more questions for Caitlin uh, I the only question I wanted to know just more of a from a personal standpoint is Caitlin what's next for you or what best solutions like you know you're You've got this entrepreneurial spirit. I'm, I'm sure you're not necessarily stopping at Buzz, but maybe uh, you don't want to talk about anything else that's going on beyond, but I would love to just hear what's next for you or for Buzz Solutions. I mean, we're so excited about the potential and the future that we have here at Buzz. We can't hire fast enough at this point. Um, wow. Our team is really, is really growing and expanding and uh, we have tremendous opportunity in this market right now, and so we're excited to capitalize on what we have in the power space to grow on that, expand on that with the different offerings that we're able to bring to utilities here. And then we want to take this, as we were talking about before, we want to take this to many markets beyond just the power space. Uh, the utility market may have been our our first place that we're entering, but you know we see that 
the technology is applicable in, in several other areas of inspections. And so that's where we want to continue to create value there. And, um, you know, we're, we're a team of really passionate and driven uh, and really entrepreneurial spirited people as a whole. And so we're constantly looking for others to come and join us on this mission um, because we like being a very mission driven company. And so, you know, we're continuing to, to grow in that way, which is exciting. Caitlin, is there anything we, we didn't ask you or uh, we didn't talk about? Lisa and I are not uh, totally um, well-versed in interviewing those who have AI technology, so we're a little new here. So <laughs> if, if we missed anything or there's anything we didn't talk about, we want to give you a chance to, to do that as well as we close here. No, this is this has been awesome, a really great experience. I've loved, uh, loved speaking more with you both. I also love the chance to um, really talk about all the nerdy sides of AI and about um, the power space and about energy as a whole. I mean, uh, we're just, it's a really cool space, I feel like, that, uh, you know, should be talked about more. And so um, this has been tremendous. Thank you again for having me. Our, our pleasure. And, and if there's anything we can do, you know, we, we're more in Canada than we are in the U.S. If there's anything we can do to you know, make introductions to, you know, the Hydro Ones or the, you know, anybody else in between up here, you know, to the extent that we can, we'd, we'd love, uh, we'd love to do that. Um, so this, this was fun. I couldn't, I can't, I can't resist halfway through our conversation. I was reminded of um, early in January, I took my 10 year old son and two of his buddies to see the new Spider-Man movie. <laughs> and uh, there's a scene, have either of you seen it? No, no, I have, I have not so seen it yet. No, I, you, you know, pass this on to your marketing department. You know, this is you'd have to go and 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 work with Marvel. But I think there's a co-branding thing here. There's a scene where um, he's he has to go and fight one of these villains, and it's in a hydro corridor, and and so he's you know you have to go and watch the scene. It's going to lose some luster. But for our listeners who have seen the latest. Spider-Man movie. Spider-Man is fighting, I think, two different villains in in between these parallel 115 kV overhead lines, and he's trying to keep them together. And then everything kind of blows up, and the fire, the forest fires start, and then his buddies go off, and he has to, you know, cobble it back together and 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 put it together with his webs and stuff. And I think it's a a great, um, you know, co co marketing co branding thing for your team because <laughs> they, they clearly weren't doing any uh, active inspections or else that that scene would have gone very differently. So, um, anyways, thank you again, uh, Caitlin, for for spending some time. I know you're busy building a big uh, big software company and and successful doing it. So congratulations to you and to your team uh, on all that yeah. you've done with Buzz and. Uh, thank you for taking some time uh, with us. It's been very fun. Where can people find you and, and the organization? How best to connect with you if they want to follow up? Absolutely. Um, well, you can either um, follow or I guess follow us on, on LinkedIn with Buzz Solutions, uh, B-U-Z-Z space solutions. Um, or you can email me. My email is Caitlin, K-A-I-T-L-Y-N at buzzsolutions.co. That's just dot C-O. Um, yeah, but would be happy to connect with anyone that, you know, shares a mutual enthusiasm for the space. Oops. For our Canadian okay. listeners, that's B-U-Z-Z, not B-U-Z. That's right. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, thank you very much, Lisa. Thank you for, uh, as always, um, having having fun with us, asking great questions and, and having a good show. And to our listeners, uh, thanks, as always, for tuning in. Give us... Uh, feedback. Let us know um, how we can uh, make this better. And 
and uh, would love it if you shared uh, the, the podcast and gave us a review. Uh, always uh, improves the reach that we can have here on Energy Radio as we try to have fun, fun yet engaging and hopefully intelligent conversations about anything energy and power. So thank you. And until next time, stay safe and uh, appreciate all that you do. 